We don't know how to pray. That is an understatement when we look at God's people today, and yet we are told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we are to pray without ceasing. And I think going through chapter 9 really helps all of us understand in a better way, you know, how that we can really be everything that uh, we need to be. Now, today, you know, we're going to move into chapter 10. And in this chapter, uh, we're going to start right off with a story. And as I said earlier when I was making the announcements, we're going to get into the Bible today. I don't have time and the time allotted for our church service this morning to explain all this and then go into great detail. If I did that, we'd be here till tomorrow morning. But we got Thursday night now that I realized that we have Thursday night Bible study. So if there's things that I can explain for you or help you understand, write it down and bring it Thursday night because obviously we're going to get into a lot of stuff today. And um, this story here is, is one of my favorite in the Bible, but it's one of those stories that once you get into the story biblically, you can go 20, different, 20, 30 different ways with it. I mean, there is so much to be able to study out of this great story. And in this chapter here, chapter 10, Christ is portrayed as the good shepherd. You're going to notice, if you haven't noticed already, that all through the Gospel of John, Chapters are designated to a different aspect of Christ's life and his ministry. Every one of them is a really great study. In chapter 1, if you remember, we saw him portrayed as the true light. In chapter 4, we saw him portrayed as the true water of life. In chapter 6, you'll remember that we saw him as the bread of life. We haven't got to chapter 15 yet, but when we get there, you're going to find where he's portrayed as the true vine. And then in chapter 17, he gives the disciples a prayer uh, that is a true prayer for the nation of Israel. And in John chapter 10, <coughs> he's now laid out for us as the good shepherd. And uh, there is so much to glean from this little chapter. Uh, chapter 10, simply verses 1 through 6. And first off, first thing I want you to know about this, because we're going to define some things here first before we actually get into the story. And then I'm going to take this story and show you, which is almost universally completely taught wrong, put it into a biblical context by just using the Bible itself, which is what we do here. And first off, we are told that this story is a parable. That should put all kind of red warning lights on your little thinking cap when you see that in the Bible. One of the things that you always want to notice in your Bible, in the gospel, that Christ will always tell you when the story that he's giving you is a parable. When he does not tell you it's a parable, then it is a real story. This is one of the things that Jehovah Witnesses who don't believe in hell, uh, when you get over to Luke chapter 16, uh, they'll try to get out of that story by simply telling you that that is just a parable. And yet if you look at John chapter 16, or, uh, uh, Luke chapter 16 very carefully, uh, you're going to find that he does not say that it is a parable in Luke chapter 16 because it is not. It's a real story. So that's the first thing you want to know, uh, you want to look for. The second thing is to understand what a parable is itself. 
Most guys teach today who know very little about the Bible, they'll teach you that the parables are some heavenly truth mystified in some kind of story that you've got to rut through to figure it out and find all kinds of stuff that it applies to you. And that's simply not, not true. You're told in Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 16, you're going to get a lot of Bible verses today that you're going to, because this whole thing is built on the Word of God itself, not my opinion, not what I read somewhere. We just stick with the Bible. But you're going to find in Matthew chapter 13, you're going to find where he tells you why the parables came into being. And you're going to find that as uh, it goes back to, again, in Acts chapter 28, verses 24, and you find it all the way back into the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. He tells you that the parables come into place because Israel's rejection of the kingdom. There is no hidden truth to the church. It's not some veiled thing that some pastor has to rig out to give it to you. It is given in a mystery form, and these are the Holy Spirit of God's Word. It's given in a mystery form to confound and confuse the nation of Israel because of their rejection of Christ, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 13, and now the kingdom goes into a, a parable state. Uh, and it's a thing where he masks these things as in, in the form that Israel cannot get them. So you want to remember that. And again, today, as in everything, you're going to find that oh, guys are always trying to stick these into the church age. And, you know, it, one of the things you want to look at is when they do that, they got to they gotta, they gotta bick and choose just segments because if they took the whole thing, well, they'd have the church wind up losing its salvation. They'd have the church wind up in all kinds of situations. And the reason for that is they're not given to you and me. Now, I get it. All the Bible is written for me. I understand that. But not all the Bible is written directly to me. There's three people groups addressed in the Bible. There's the Jew, there's the Gentile, and then there's the church. Rightly dividing the word of truth is you and me having the ability to see who he's speaking to and why. And then gleaning things out for us, maybe indirectly, but certainly not directly. So when we see it's a parable, using what we already know, and we're pretty much into the Bible around here all the time, we know uh, our context of this story will be to the nation of Israel, and we also know that the parables will always deal with doctrinal issues like the second coming of Christ, the tribulation period, and then the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, but all given to Israel. Now, I'm going to break this parable down as we go through into two, maybe three sections over the next couple of weeks. This is one of these places in the Bible that I want you to get down. So I'm going to take my time doing it. We have Thursday night. If I leave any things unanswered, which I most certainly will, because I do not have the time to get into all of these different offshoots that this story deals with. I'm going to give you the story. I'm going to lay it out what it is, give you the material, and then you need to take it on your own and study it out and then bring it back to me if need be, and then I will help you do that. And we will see how that this is a great story with a lot of incredible material uh, that can be run through your Bible. So let's begin, and let's read our text today, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. See now, 
if you can use your trained eye here, because I'm going to give them to you. You can get ahead of the game here. See now if you can pick out, say you're reading this for the first time. Say you got it. See if your trained eye, you can pick out the key words that it will always unlock it. Here's what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, and they know, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Let's pray. Father, the nation of Israel, as we just read, could not understand the things that he spoke to them. May you allow us to see that today. May you take the scales off of our eyes that we, in the New Testament, in this church, under the guiding and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, be led into the truth of this great story. Help us to see what Israel could not see, yet help us to see what so many of God's people cannot see today, the truth of the Word of God and how it is rightly divided and how it lays itself out so easily when you just use the Bible itself. Help us today. As always, Lord, we come to this book knowing nothing. We come to this book totally reliant on the Holy Spirit of God to lead and teach and guide us today. Help us, Father, and we'll give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. Forgive us where we have failed thee. Put us under your blood that we may receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, as sake we ask it, amen. Now, I'm going to lay this out for you, and you need to get this down into your Bible. You can do it one or two ways. My best way is if you have a notebook there to get as much down as you can. Don't try to... Put this in your Bible as we go through, unless you're um, really good at that. Um, I am not, but you know, I'm sure there are some people that are. You probably have to go back and listen to it online uh, that you uh, over and over again, you get it. That's what I've had to do through my life over the years. And of course, I'm here for you Thursday night. If you have more questions, bring them and we'll talk about it. And um, you'll hear this story taught by guys who really don't understand the depth of the Word of God, uh, they'll always try to put this into the church age. They'll always take this and these other parables and then try to work them into the church age. Uh, and of course, nothing could be farther from the truth. If I've told you time and time again, nothing in the Gospels, nothing in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will be written directly to the church. Now, there'll be people who disagree with that. And my answer to that would be Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. You see, you can have your own opinion. We don't have our own opinions here. We just keep coming back to the Bible. And when I make a statement like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not written directly to the church, I'm saying that based on the authority of the apostle to the church, the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, where he told us, that the church age was a mystery and not revealed to him. So this idea that some pastor wants to get up there and stick this into the church age, 
let's just stick with the Bible if that's okay with everybody this morning. And as I've said, obviously the Bible is written uh, for all of us, our admonition, but it's not written directly to all of us. And that's the first major thing you need to learn about the Bible. So we will approach this text as we do our other Bible explorations uh, using the Bible itself, with itself interpreting keys to unlock it and show us what it really means. So first off, looking at this text, you always want to do this when you get into a situation like this. I do. Anyhow, it helps me. The first thing we want to do is define some things. We want to find a context of this passage, and we do that through looking at keywords and defining them. Now, I want to start with what we should see with our trained eye, and maybe this is one of the first things you should have put down, and that will be the word door. Now, inspirationally, and I've heard this all my, all my Christian life, uh, inspirationally, uh, guys will take this and they'll say, well, the door here is a figurative thing. It's not a literal door. It's talking about Christ as the door. And Christ is the great door, and, uh, you know, and they try to deal with it that way. But I want to draw your attention, first off, in John chapter 10. He's not portrayed as the great true door. He's portrayed as the good shepherd. And uh, that's the first thing that would bother me about that understanding. And, uh, I, but, and they want to teach that this is not a literal door. And I totally understand this. I really do. I've been in this business a long time. I've heard every, every angle and everything that somebody, you know, tries to put out. And I know where a lot of this stuff comes from, and I understand that. But the truth of the matter is, when we find the word door here, it is a literal door. And that's the first thing I want you to understand. You need to realize that in, up in the second heaven, between the second heaven and the third heaven where God is that, there are real, the Bible talks about door and it talks about windows. And they're real. And I know we would like to make them figurative because, you know, we can do so much with that. But uh, I want to tell you something, that up in heaven there are, there are, there are doors and there are windows. I, I like, the, I, back in my day, I grew up, I like the 1970s, the Star Trek movies, you know, when they were back in the day before, on TV. And I remember one episode, and I've never forgotten it, where they, in the Enterprise, they were up there someplace, and they, they went through a door. And the door, I mean, a literal big door up there, you know, and, and they went through it, and it put them into another dimension. It put them into another, uh, whole other, what we call today, parallel universes. And there's a theory out there that uh, our universe is parallel with other universes, and you can actually go from one universe to the other if you find the right door. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where I understand how all this stuff works, and I know how I understand science comes up with it, but I want to tell you something. To every element of science out there, as far-fetched as it may be, there's going to be an element of truth to it because everything has to originate from the Bible. Now, I'm not your expert on parallel universes, but I will tell you this. When you get into eternity, and eternity goes on forever and ever and ever, there's got to be some way that God has a system of some kind of that it never ends. And with, with it 
increasing itself, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. There's got to be some format to that. Now, we understand from the Old Testament that our second heaven is likened to a, the shape of a pyramid. We get that. And uh, a pyramid has different sides to it. We understand that. And I'm saying, I don't, I don't know this door exactly other than the text here, but I know there's got to be something to it that in eternity God does what he does and it's done through a door. Now, it's just that. I mean, uh, it's, it's a thing where that's what you got. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, when he establishes that government, it increases. So you're going to, here's the problem. You're going to have an increasing government in a place where there is no time and it's eternal, but it's an ongoing stage. God's got to have, and I'm not professing I understand it, but I am saying this. In the Bible, you will find scores and scores of verses on these doors and windows. Now, when you get into a study of it, uh, you'll know. I don't know if you know this or not. The first time you find a door in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. It's in the story of Cain and Abel. Remember what God said to him? He said uh, when he refused his offering, we studied it a couple of weeks ago. He said to him, look, Cain, if you do what's right, then you're going to be okay. But if you don't do what's right, then sin lieth at the what? The door. Now, we studied that back, and we know that First John chapter 3, verse 12, he's of the devil's seed. We know that he's, he's called the son of perdition. His great father, the devil, John chapter 8, verse 44, you have your father, the devil, and the lust of your fathers you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's Cain with Genesis. When the devil rebelled against God in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, and he leaves God's presence, he, had a, he didn't have to do that. Sin was at the door. And the Lucifer, the devil, just like Cain, chose that and went out the door and left the presence of God. First time you find that in the Bible. Well, you want to come time? You don't have to go turn on all these right now, but over in 2 Kings chapter 7, you're going to find where God killed a man. And he killed a man because the man laughed when God said that there was windows in heaven. And the guy laughed at him, and when the, when the famine was ceased, the, the guy wound up being trampled to death, and he died because he didn't believe what God said. You're going to find in Genesis chapter 7, verses 10 through 11, that when the great flood came down there, the water came down from the deep, the Bible says that God opened the windows of heaven. Now, if that's figurative, then how did the water get through something that wasn't real? See, it's not figurative. In uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 9, you find it again. You find where Christ up in heaven is looking through a window, looking at you. I mean, it's right there. It's literal. It's not figurative. So when you get into this story about a door, well, you know, the first thing you want to do is because you really don't have a handle on the Bible and you don't know how to explain it is you make it figurative. Well, we don't do that around here. We'll just go back to the Bible. You'll find in Genesis chapter 6 the story of Noah and the ark. And I've told you before that that ark is a beautiful picture of some things. But one of the things the ark is a picture of is the universe. 
there's three heavens. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he was caught up to the third heaven. I know that confuses a lot of Baptists and scares the fire out of them because they don't know what heaven they're going to go to, but it's, it's, it's a simple little thing. We don't have time to get into it today. But there's three heavens. There's the first heaven, which is our atmosphere. There's a second heaven, which is the vastness of outer space. And there's the third heaven where God's throne is, where Paul was caught up to. So the ark, being a type of the universe, guess what? Has three levels to it. You know what that ark is a type of the universe has in it? It's got a door and it's got a window. How about that? And when God's judgment, here it comes, when God's judgment, the flood, was about to fall on planet earth, a picture of God's judgment that's going to come at the second coming of Christ, you know what the Bible says God did? He shut that door. Nobody could get in. Now, that may not mean much to your average person, but if you're a Bible student and you go over to Matthew chapter 25, verse 10, you'll find this story of the ten virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. And the Bible says that five took oil in their lamps, picture of the Holy Spirit of God, and five did not, all picture of the tribulation period. And the Bible says that God came down and took the ones that were righteous off this planet, and guess what he says? And the door was shut. That's a picture of what Noah went through. It's an incredible thing. Now, later on in Genesis chapter 8, when the water begins to recede, Noah opens up a window. And he sends out two birds. He sends out a black bird, which is a raven. And then he sends out a white bird, which is a dove. I don't have time to get into all this this morning, and I've laid it out before, and I'll certainly take the time at some other time to lay it out for you, but I am telling you, that is a picture of the Bible from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where the blackbird, the devil, leaves the presence of God and never comes back, and when he sends that raven out, the raven never comes back. And then he sends out the, the, the dove, type of the Holy Spirit of God. It comes back a couple of times, all picture of everything going through your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's an incredible study, all based on a window. Oh, I'll give you another one. After that all happens and the ark lands in Mount Ararat, Noah comes out of that, comes out of that ark through the door after he sent the birds out through the window. He now comes out to planet Earth through the door, which is a picture, if you go back and look at it, after God's judgment, it's a picture of the millennial reign of Christ, Noah being a type of Christ coming out of that ark through the door. Somebody said, I think you're stretching it. Well, let me stretch it a little farther for you. Only two places you find in your Bible where there's a rainbow. Only two places. See, somebody will say, well, I think you're reaching for that, really? Well, let me reach a little farther for you, because in your Bible, there's only two places where you find a rainbow, and it isn't Gay Pride Week. Amen. Amen. You find that in Genesis chapter 9, verse 13, when Noah comes out, there's a rainbow in the sky, and then you find it in Revelation chapter 4. 
at the second coming of Christ, there's a rainbow in the sky. See how you connect those things? It's incredible. Incredible. Again, in Matthew chapter 25, I referenced just a little few minutes ago, you have the story of the ten virgins. Five were wise and five were foolish. It's a story, a parable of the tribulation period and the nation of Israel going through it. Some Jews making it and some Jews not. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 10, the Bible says that when Christ comes back, just like in Genesis chapter 6, verse 16, God's judgment falls, the door shut. It's a literal door, folks. I don't know how to break it down to you. Now, let's just get one more time here before we get going here. In Revelation chapter 4, we have the rapture of the church. Ah, oh, that's you and me. This is more like home now. This is what we're waiting for any moment, any second, for God to come down and take us out. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, which is the, one of the key verses on the rapture of the church, he says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, as if it were a trumpet, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talking with me and said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things with me. And immediately, like a twinkling of the eye, there's the rapture. We go up through a door. I mean, it's just that simple. It's a literal door. This passage is a parable hiding the truth of the tribulation and the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom from the nation of Israel because of their rejection. So just, well, let's look at the next one. The next thing we need to define and look at will be found in verse 3. And it, it, it says here in verse 3, To him the porter openeth. Not only do we have a door now, but we got a door man. We got a porter. Now, I don't know if you've ever connected at all this, and I'm going to try to explain this to you in my um, feeble way. But this is where the idea comes from of St. Peter at the gate. Remember, he takes the gate. You got to go through St. Peter to get in. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, you hear that all your life. In every, I'm not talking about in the Christian world. I, you hear about it from the, the, the world world. Back in World War II, you know, the Marine Corps went through some really tough times in the Pacific. And, I mean, they talk about hell on earth, brother. They went through it from Peleliu to Okinawa to Iwo Jima to Guadalcanal to Tarawa to those places. And they had a little saying, and it went like this. And when I get to heaven, to St. Peter, I will tell another Marine reporting, sir, I've served my time in hell. See, they thought he was at the gate. Now, obviously, if you're in the Marine Corps and you went through World War II, that's probably the closest thing on this earth you'll ever get to hell, but it ain't hell. But that's how the world looks at it. Who all knows who Tennessee Ernie Ford was? Anybody know? Wow, look, a few of you. He sang a song, uh, 16 tons of number nine coal. Remember that thing? Another day older and another day, whatever it was. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Do, 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 do. Good job, Penny. Good job. It's all known. It's, it's the way that it is. 
The whole world thinks that St. Peter is up there at that door, the gate, and you got to go through him. And they even make jokes about it. <laughs> lady died and went to heaven. And she went up to the gate, and St. Peter was at the door there. And she says, oh, I am so glad that I'm, 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 I get to go to heaven. And St. Peter said, well, wait a minute. To get into heaven inside the door here, you got to spell a word. And she says, oh, my. Well, he says, you picked the word. So being a Christian, she says, love, L-O-V-E. He said, come right on in. Two days later, she's walking around there, and she sees her ex-husband, who they had a very rocky, stormy divorce, and he didn't like her, she didn't like him. But he's coming down the path to that gate. And she goes out to meet him, and she she says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I guess I'm going to heaven. I'm really excited. She says, wait a minute. Before you get in that door, you've got to spell a word. He says, what word? She says, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) Man said one time, actually, this is the true story. Years ago, a guy got up, we're taking prayer requests, not in our church, but another church, and a guy got up and he said, I want you all to pray. My wife's in the hospital and she's not doing very well. In fact, the doctors say that she's lying at death's door. And the pastor said, well, yes, brother. How would you like us to pray? He said, just pray God pull her through. (laughs) It's a real door, man. It's a real door. Now, let's get serious for a moment. Well, not for much of a moment, but let's get serious. Now, this idea of a porter at the gate, the door, will biblically come from the biblical teaching that Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, he gets the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And from that point, everybody just assumes, they don't know what the kingdom of heaven is, have no idea that it's on earth. They liken it to something up in heaven, i.e. the gate, or the door, and so ironically, St. Peter gets plastered with the fact that he's the porter up there keeping the gate open and all that stuff, and, uh, and of course, that's not true. Now, I don't know who the porter is, but I'll tell you who it ain't. It isn't Peter. One of the great keys to your Bible will be to study the relationship of Peter and Paul. And you'll find out why Paul gets the kingdom, uh, Peter gets the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and Paul gets the gospel to the church. And you'll find the illumination of that idea in Acts chapter 15, and then again in Galatians chapter 2, if, if you want to go that far with it. Now, the next thing we're going to see here is a reference to a shepherd and a reference to sheep. You'll find it in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. Now, let me just say this. Given the status of our, 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 our story here, these sheep will be the nation of Israel. Sheep, in Paul's writings, now listen to me carefully, in Paul's writings, you'll never find the church likened to being sheep. 
It's always a designation to the nation of Israel. Now, if somebody gets up there and says, hey, you know what, I'm the pastor of the flock, I'm not going to fight that. I, I, but there's a lot of things we say that are okay to say, but you know what, when it comes back to the Bible and laying it out biblically, it isn't exactly the way it goes, but I understand when you're dealing with those kind of things. It's okay. You're going to find that a sheep in Paul's writings are never likened to the church. Matthew chapter 10, the apostles were told with the message of the kingdom of heaven to go forth to the lost sheep, see, of the nation of Israel, not the church. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we are told that Israel as sheep have lost their shepherd. You never read anything like that when Paul's writing to the church. So you just want to understand how these things work. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus called the great shepherd of the sheep, but in the context, it's the nation of Israel. And Hebrews is written to Hebrews. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, you'll find sheep, but it, again, it's referring to the nation of Israel, knowing and understanding that Peter writes to the nation of Israel. He's the apostle to the Jews, Acts chapter 15. You see, let me tell you why the New Testament church, and this is, Biblical doctrine now. I, it's okay to take a little license if you're preaching. You know, inspir- I get it. I'm not upset about that. It's fine. But I am telling you that doctrinally, there's a reason why you and me as the church are never going to be likened to, in Paul's writings, a sheep of the flock and Christ as the shepherd. And the reason for that, biblically, and I hate to keep bringing up the Bible, but that's where we live today. Biblically, the reason for that is, is because you and I, as the body of Christ, we're not a sheep. We're part of his body. That is the doctrinal correctness. You talk about political correctness? Well, there is a doctrinal correctness when it comes to the Bible. And you're going to find that that's why we are never likened to sheep directly, Because we, in the body of Christ, are part of his body. We became one with him. Israel never did. And again, I've heard, you know, the story back there in in, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, about the the parable of the 90 and 9, where the guy's got 99 sheep, you know, and he's missing one. So he goes out looking for that sheep. He finds it, he picks up that little lamb and puts it over his shoulders and walks it back to the flock. Oh, how many times, how many times have I heard that put into the church? But you know what, you've got to pretty much cut that up because if you take that story just as it is, there ain't no way that little sheep could be part of the church because it didn't get saved or get back to the fold. It's Israel, see? As a real Bible believer, you can be a party pooper on a lot of things that people believe. I would love to stand up here and say that that bothers me, but I have to confess I rather enjoy it. It's a thing where I'm a Bible believer, and I give full license. If somebody, if somebody came to this church and they preached a message on the 90 and 9, you never hear a word out of me. I wouldn't say a word. If somebody got up and said, uh, you know, you're a, you know, whatever, made reference to you as sheep and he's a pastor, I wouldn't say a word about it. I understand there's a, there's a preaching license that you can take as long as you don't go off the deep end someplace. So I'm okay with that. 
You know the reason why I'm okay with it? Because I understand the difference. I know the real doctrinal background behind it. So I don't get upset about it because I know how it really lays out. The problem is that most of God's people don't know how it lays out so they get caught up into it. What I'm about to say is going to offend a lot of people. Don't mean to. I even hesitate to say this because you're all good people, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, any way, shape, or form. I'm just trying to tell you. Do you want the Bible or do you not? It's that good doctor. Years ago, not years ago, several years ago, this little thing came out. A kind of a poem with a picture of the footprints in the sand. I've seen it in people's houses. If you have me over for dinner and you have one of those on your wall, I ain't going to say a word until after we eat. <laughs> I'm not going to say a word because I'm okay, because I understand. But you know how it goes. You've all seen it, and if you have it, it's fine. I, I, I don't look at you as the Antichrist. or I, I just it, It's okay. There's a lot of things, and you're going to see in a minute, there's a lot of things we do in Christianity that are so far from the Bible, it's unbelievable. But it's okay. It's the world we live in. I don't mind as long as I know that it, but you know how it goes. There's this picture here, two sets of footprints, walking in the sand by the beach. And the story goes that I enjoyed my walk with you, dear Lord. We walked in the sunrise, the midday, and the sunset. And I could see the two sets of our footprints as we walked side by side. But then I had a dream. And Lord, I looked at that beach, and now there was only one set of footprints. And I asked the Lord, Lord, we walked together, and there were two sets of footprints. Now there's only one. Why did you leave me to walk alone? Jesus looked down with that smile on his face, put his arm around me and said, Son, I never left you. Those were the times that I carried you. <laughs> now, being the resourceful person that I was, before I ever asked the Lord that, I would have measured his footsteps of the single footsteps, because if he was carrying somebody, it would be deeper than it was when he wasn't. <laughs> that was me. I'm a tracker. I just said, oh, there's something going on here. Those footsteps are deeper than these here. And I would have measured them. And I would have deduced that he's carrying somebody. Now, You know why there's not two footprints in the sand and there's only always one set of footprints? Because I'm not walking by his side. I'm in him and he's in me. And I can never get separated from him. And you know what? He doesn't have to carry me. You know why? He gave me a book that will get me through everything in life. You know why we want God to carry us through tough times? Because we're not in the book. Show me one problem man gets into that is the answer isn't in that book. I don't need God to carry me. He gave me a book that'll get me through. But you see, that's where we're at today. And I don't fight it. I, I, I really don't. 
but it's, 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 it's just where it's at, and it's a shame. Now, the next thing you have is found in verse 5, and this will be the stranger. It says, a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Now, if you're going to put this into a church age, you've got a problem with this verse. Because now who's the stranger? See? Now, here's where we have to go back to the Bible. Now, the word stranger or strange will be defined for you in the Bible through a great study that will ultimately lead us to, yes, the man of sin, the Antichrist. Now, where do you get that? It's a book called the Bible. It's so clear if you just pay attention. You'll find in the beginning of your Bible, in Genesis chapter 35, verse 2, that they're told to stay away from, here's the word, strange gods. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, you'll find that the downfall of the nation of Israel after David came into being with Solomon. How did that happen? Because 1 Kings 11, 1 said, Solomon loved many strange women. In the book of Proverbs, you'll find this strange woman who seduces a young man, picture of the religion of the Antichrist in the tribulation period. She's flattering with her lips. She's religious. She's paid her vows. She says all the right thing, but she takes the man, the young kid, to hell. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll find this story laid out for you completely with two people in your Bible that represent the Antichrist and his religion. Ahab and Jezebel. Have you ever noticed that there's two names? With all the names, how many Johns we got here? How many people named John? Bunch. How many James? Bunch. You ever notice there's nobody? How, how many Jezebels? <laughs> Charles just pointed to you, Laura, when I said that. I want you to know that. Yeah, that's okay. How many Ahabs? Yeah, okay, he got you back. How many... How many named Judas? Have you ever noticed that those two names are completely off the child roster? <laughs> when you go to the website, what the name of your kid, you will not find Jezebel and you will not find Judas. You'll find James, you'll find John, you'll find Bob, you'll find Robert, you'll find Tom, you'll find, you, you'll find all the biblical names. But you won't find Jezebel and you won't find Judas. There's something special about those names that aren't good. And so you have here in, 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 in uh, 1 Kings 18 the story of Ahab, type of the Antichrist, Jezebel, type of his religion. And she's the strange woman and he's the strange man. When you go through the book of Proverbs, you'll find in Proverbs 2, verse 16, Proverbs 3, verse 10, Proverbs 5, 3, Proverbs 5, 20, Proverbs 6, 1, 21, 8, 27, 2, all references to this stranger or strange person. Then when we get to Zechariah chapter 11, you'll find this strange man, this stranger in the form of a false shepherd, the Antichrist. And here the key word will be uh, that you find in verse 5 will be found in chapter 24, verse 16 of the book of Matthew. It's the word flee. 
Now, you probably ought to look at Zechariah chapter 11, verse 15, just so you stay with me here. But look what he says. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed uh, that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh and the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Now this is, a, this is the shepherd. Now look, he's defined in verse 17. Woe unto the idle shepherd. Then this shepherd's connected with an idol, like the beast, 666. That leaveth the flock, the sword shall be on his arm. That's where the Antichrist gets a bad right arm. And shall be around his right eye, so he gets a bad wound in the eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. Now, a couple of weeks ago on Thursday night, uh, somebody asked a question about the breaking the bands and the brotherhood uh, over here in Zechariah chapter 11. And I showed you that night that that's dealing with the 11 uh, verse 7 and 11 verse 14. That is dealing with the Antichrist coming in and breaking up the bond of the nation of Israel and breaking the brotherhood of the nation of Israel. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where this is the stranger. This is the strange, the, the idle shepherd. This is the Antichrist. This is who they're talking about in verse 5 of John chapter 10. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. And in Matthew chapter 24, they flee from him. Last week, I told you out of uh, chapter, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, if somebody offered strange fire at the altar and the incense, and God killed them. The strange fire came from the strange man. You know, <laughs> one of the great jokes, and this is, again, we can get into all this. I don't have time to get into it. One of the great jokes on, uh, of, of the church and pastors today is when they they try to put this passage, as I said, into the church age. Verse 1 tells us that someone's trying to get into heaven through some other way than Christ as the door. And they'll teach that is there's no other way to get heaven. You can't get around the door. You can't get around Christ. And that's, that sounds really good if you're just going to lift that out of the text. But that biblical reference here, staying within the context, that biblical reference of somebody showing up and coming in another way will be one of the key studies in the Bible of the, here it comes. I know you're going to say, where did you get that at? And I just go back to the Bible. I'll give you the verse in a moment. To the devil. Once we're up in heaven at the wedding, Guess who shows up? The devil shows up. You say, what new doctrine is this? Oh, it's one that you were playing your video games and missed. It's one that you were busy watching the ball game or doing this or fishing or hunting and missed. Oh, it's there. Completely unknown today. And before somebody says, well, that's crazy. You better just stop and look at your Bible before you make those kind of statements, or we're going to find out who really is crazy, or at least shallow when it comes to the Word of God. Years ago, we used to take roller skating parties. Remember those? Remember they used to have the, 
Limbo's <laughs> stick, you know, Jack being, they always play that song. You know, you'd be roller skating around, and, and they'd start this thing up here, and then you'd have to go under the stick, you know, and, and uh, the Jack being nimble, Jack be quick, Jack go under candlestick, you know, yeah, there you go, Penny, don't you do a little, anyway, and so they'd put it up there, and you'd go, you'd go underneath it, you know, and you'd, uh, you know, and then they'd lower it a little bit, next time around, everybody'd go down, and pretty soon it got to be like that, and the guy would say on the song, how low can you go? I've always looked at that and thought to myself, that's the same kind of aspect, aspect of the Bible. How low, deep can you go with that book? Amen. How far down can you get into it? Or are you, to me, I, you know, the limbo stick had to be about as high as that ceiling for me to get under it. <laughs> but I watched some of those people get under that thing that was just like 12 inches off. I mean, you've got to contort your body and keep your balance and get under that thing. That is, that's a young man's game. That is not an old man's game. <laughs> And I thought to myself, gee, that's exactly what you do with the Bible. And the question is today, how low, when it comes to that Bible, and it's down deep, how low can you go? Are you shallow up here? Are you one of those Christians that you can't ever lower the, the, the rod below, you know, four, uh, 24 feet off the ground? Because that's what you got here. You got in your Bible... Matthew chapter 22, verses 8 through 13. You got us up at the wedding, and somebody shows up without a wedding garment. I'd like to see what they do with that. You know what they do with that? They don't, they don't bring that into their sermon, because they don't know what to do with it. You got the wedding of the bride of Christ up in heaven, and somebody shows up, read it, without a wedding garment. And guess where he's wound up? He's cast into, cast into hell. Hmm. I wonder who that could be. Well, there's a key word there that tells you who exactly it is. I ain't going to give it to you. Figure it out yourself. Read it and study it for about 25 years and see if you can get it. Now, if you ask me on Thursday night, maybe I'll give it to you. It depends on what kind of mood I'm in. Completely unknown today, yet Matthew chapter 22 tells you that somebody does come up and get in around the door. And he says, he's a, here it comes, a thief and a robber. And the key word is in that verse. Tells you who it is. Now, with all that in hand and heart and head, Let's put a biblical context to all this. Now, I told you that this is the, this is the real Christmas story. Turn over to me, if you will, Jeremiah chapter 10 for just a moment. I heard many, many preachers, many, many people talk about the fact that you know, Christmas has got so commercialized and it's such a mess. And I've seen slogans and banners that said, put Christ back into Christmas. Well, I don't know how to tell you this, but Christ was never in Christmas to begin with. <laughs> but okay, I'm good. I, 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 want, I want you to see this here. Now, just, now, this is what I'm about to show you is American, European, worldwide, world understanding 
of Christmas. Now, we're going to get a biblical context, and then I'm going to tell you, it's okay. It's all right. Look at 10.1. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs, here it comes, customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands of the workman with an axe. Now, I, most of us, you probably don't do this anymore, but when I was a kid growing up, that's exactly what we did. I can remember as a little kid, long treks in the woods looking for the right tree. And my dad with a big old axe, cutting that thing down, and then the fun part was dragging it out. One time my mom couldn't make it, so we had to tie her to the tree and drag her out, but we got it all done. <laughs> now, look what happens here. Somebody goes in and cuts down a tree. Now, this is a pine tree, fir tree. They deck it. Deck the halls with bells of folly. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that move not. And then mom and dad get in a fight because it's not exactly where she wanted it to be. <laughs> That's another memory I have growing up. Remember, Sharon, the fight they used to get into over the tree? This is exactly what everybody's doing today at Christmas. Let's go on. They nails them with hammers that it moved not. They are upright as a palm tree. That's a key for you. But speak not. They must needs to be born. You've got to carry them around because they are, cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also do they do good. So the idea of what we celebrate as Christmas today, let me tell you, it, it goes back to the Old Testament time in Jeremiah chapter 10 with the heathen. Now let me explain how it worked back then. And then I'm going to tell you, you're okay. You all look like you're sweating. There'll be no confessional up here in the confessional booth. I didn't finish yet. So don't worry about it. But here's how it worked. Notice he put palm tree. You know why? Because the palm tree in the Bible, go to the book of Psalms, is always a picture of the real tree and a picture of the millennial reign of Christ. It's like into a palm tree. Don't you know that when Christ went into Jerusalem on the week before he was crucified, what did they put down on the ground for him to walk on? Palm leaves. Because they were looking for the millennium, see? So this is a counterfeit to that. And this is a fir tree shaped like the universe. They go into the woods. They cut it down. They put it into the house. Here's the way it worked. That is a counterfeit tree of life. The balls on it and the tinsel on it are replica fruit of what's on a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. So the heathen got out and cut a tree, put it down, and then they put balls on it and decked it with gold and silver. And the idea was that you went to sleep that night And then an eternal man from the north who lives forever. And in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6, it says, the man from the north who says, ho, ho, 
So for us, it's all fun and games, and we don't have anything to worry about it and all that stuff, but this is where it originates. And somebody would say, what happened was, while everybody went to bed, this man from the north would bring in the presents, a counterfeit of Matthew chapter 7, with the Holy Spirit of God give good gifts unto them that ask him, and puts them all around the tree, and the tree, when you go to bed at night, is dead, and then in the morning it's decked with silver balls and all those things, and now it's come alive, and you now have a counterfeit tree of life. Oh, 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 don't forget this. And it's shaped like this, type of the universe, and what did they always put at the top of that tree? A little winged angel. Angels don't have wings. That's the fifth cherub, and he had over the whole second heaven at one time. Now, I don't care if you have a Christmas tree. Notice, we, we don't have one here. I mean, I, 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 I understand what Paul said. I become all things to all men. I mean, there are churches out there that won't have Christmas. They won't have Easter. They won't have any of those things. I don't care. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I don't, I'm not one of these guys like the TV stations that say Happy Holidays. I'll put Christ in it, Merry Christmas. But I understand that it get into the church with Constantine in 400 when he brought all the pagans in. He brings in the, the festival of Christians, Christmas and also of Easter, Ashtar, God of fertility, with their bunny rabbits and the Easter eggs, which are Egyptian. And all that stuff comes into the church. You won't find in Waldensian and Albigensian, uh, uh, anybody in the church age, the Huguenots, the Polyseans, the Anabaptists, anybody who followed it. Now, here it is today. And yes, we, 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 we always have a, we, we always, we have a, just so you know, we have a Christmas tree at our house. We didn't put a real one up this year because Barb's got surgery here coming up in a week or two and we didn't want to have to deal with that tree. But, but uh, we got a little one on the table there, about that tall. And, uh, but we have a tree. It's upstairs. I stay in the fitting of it all. Our tree looks like it's got AIDS and leprosy. <laughs> That's the ugliest tree you've ever seen in your life. I mean, birds won't land in it. I put it out in the yard one time. Birds, squirrels won't go up it. It is the ugliest tree you ever saw. But it's fitted. And, but it's a thing where I get it. I understand because I realize that if you take the real biblical stand against it, you never reach anybody. I don't care. We went out and sang Christmas carols. I get it. I don't care. It's a thing where I, I understand in, in Acts chapter 21, Paul tells me exactly how as a Christian I'm to deal with things like this. So I follow that. For me, it all goes back to the Bible. It doesn't, as long as I know and understand what the bottom line is, I don't care. I'll use whatever tools I can use to win somebody to Christ or get them to introduce them to the Lord. And it's a thing, uh, but, but Acts chapter 21 shows you how exactly you do that. So you just follow it. We don't have a Christmas service here. I had people call me, you having a Christmas Eve service? No. Why not? Well, my kids are bringing my presents over and I'm not missing that. <laughs> You having an Easter service? Yeah, we have a sunrise service. Oh, what time? 11 o'clock. <laughs> and I have an Easter message. It's called a letter from hell. You'll enjoy it. You really will. See, I, I, I don't care. It's a thing where I, I, as long as I understand it, I'm good with it. It doesn't cross over and mess up what I understand about the Bible. I understand the world that I live in, and there's some things that I have to accept to deal with if I'm going to be a witness, that doesn't mean I have to believe it. 
And it's a thing where, you know, it just goes like the footprints in the stand. I don't care. I, I really don't. But now, you know, John chapter 10 is the real story of Christ coming into this world. If you want the true, real Christmas story, here it is. I mean, silent night, holy night. Here it is. I mean it. I mean joy to the world. Here it is. I mean away in a manger. There it is. I mean angels we have heard on high. Airborne ranger jumping from the sky. Oh, I can't finish that song. But anyway, it's a thing where, <laughs> I kind of slipped out. But anyway, it's a thing where, you know, it, it's okay. This is where it really is. Now, I'm going to break this chapter down for you. And I want you to get this in your Bible. I've laid out all the things. I've defined everything. Now I'm going to show you in your Bible how you bracket this six verses out. Each one of these verses deal with something different, dealing with the second coming, tribulation, or the millennium. Now, if you have a china marker uh, or one of those red pens, I, I would do, I, I'm talking about brackets like this on each side of the verses that I tell you to bracket. And there's uh, five of them. And uh, that way, and then we're going to write out on each one what we have the context here so you can break it all down and see it now that we've defined everything. And uh, uh, the first bracket you're going to put, and I put them on both sides of verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. And I would separate each one of these sections or verses individually from the other so you understand that they're each separate. So in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some of the way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now this will be the intro to this parable. And in this verse, you'll find he lays out where he's going with this story. And it'll show you that it's Christ coming to the nation of Israel. It gives you three key words. The door the sheepfold, and a thief. So you want to bracket that out, and this is the beginning of the introduction to our story. And then the next two verses you want to bracket would be verse 2 and 3. This is where he says, But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the portereth open, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Now you want to segregate verses 2 and 3 from verse 1 and then the rest of the verses. So put brackets on either side of those two verses. Now this will be the, this will be the, uh, this will be the, uh, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel. This will be the true Christmas story. Now we know that Christ did not come, was not born on December 25th. We know that. December 25th is the birthday in pagan, uh, paganism as the birthday of the sun god. And uh, we know that the pagans back in the old days, before Constantine made it Christ's birthday, uh, they worshipped the birth of Baal on December 25th, uh, right around the winter solstice. So we know that uh, that's not. Christ was born at the Feast of Tabernacles, somewhere around September 23rd, 22nd, somewhere in there. We know that from the Bible we don't have time to get into it this morning. Ask me on Thursday night. I'll run you through it if you really want to. Now, here's what you got. 
This is the first coming of Christ. He comes down through this door. He comes, leaves the third heaven, down through the second heaven, down to this earth, and this is where he's born in a manger in Bethlehem, and this marks the first coming of Christ. Again, I don't argue with people, and I, as long as I know, I, I don't really care, but Christmas is a hodgepodge of misinformation, not only in the story itself, like we've already seen, but in the way it's represented. In your Bible, if you want to find the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will go to Luke chapter 2. And you'll find in Luke chapter 2, this is where he is born in a major. You will not find in Luke chapter 2 the wise men showing up. You will not find in Luke chapter 2 a star connected and leading them. The emphasis in Luke chapter 2 will be his birth in Bethlehem, where he was prophesied to be born. And it's dealing with Christ coming to the nation of Israel. And the reason why the wise men don't come, you want to get this down, and the shepherds do come, is because he came as the shepherd to the nation of Israel. Now, commonly you find Matthew chapter 2 connected to Luke chapter 2. And on your Christmas cards and on Christmas messages and in Christmas carols and everything, there's a hodgepodge fixture of the two being mixed together. I don't care, but biblically speaking, doctrinally correct, Luke chapter 2 takes place at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 2 does. Matthew chapter 2 takes place at least two years, maybe three years later. You say, how could you aptly say that? Again, please. In Luke chapter 2, he's in a manger. In Matthew chapter 2, he's in a house. In, in Luke chapter 2, he's a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. In Matthew chapter 2, he's a young child. It's not the same. Here, the wise men show up, guided by the star, which is a prediction out of the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. And here he shows up, the wise men show up, and this is after his birth, and they bring him three gifts. Gold, mirth, and Frankenstein, frankincense. <laughs> Each one of those gifts brought to him in the house as a young child will represent the three offices that he holds priest, prophet, and king. You see, it's all tied together. So when you get into verse 2 and 3 and the door is open and he comes down, we're talking about him coming down to the nation of Israel. He's born in Bethlehem he grows up, he becomes a carpenter's son, he starts his publicly ministry when he's 30 years old, and uh, it, it, it comes to a place where 
all this in verse 2 is a picture of his earthly ministry. And then you know the story. He gets taken, he gets crucified, and he gets buried, and he rises again the third day. Look what it says, verse 3. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his sheep by name, and leadeth them out. What is that a reference to? That's a reference of his whole first coming. He comes down, he's dead, he gets crucified, he rises again, and then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 through 13, and Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 and 53, tells us that he leads the inhabitants of Abraham's bosom out. He leads captivity captive. That's what it says. He calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. So he comes down through that door, has his public ministry, dies, crucified, buried, rose again the third day, and then he raises up Abraham's bosom and he leads them out. That's what you got in verse 2 and 3. It's just that simple. You want to remember that the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14, that up to this point when Christ came into the world, that the devil has the keys to death and hell. That's why no man could resurrect himself. He had the key to death and hell. You're told that when Christ went down and died and he resurrected himself, Revelation chapter 1, now verse 18, tells us that after the resurrection, he has the keys of death and hell. This is why in the narrative of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people may call him Lord, but the narrative of the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God, never calls Christ Lord until after the resurrection. Trained eye. Why? Because he defeated the devil, and now he has the keys to death and hell. So he goes down and unlocks those gates to Abraham's bosom, and verse 3 says, he leads them out. See how easy that is? Now, let's look at the next verse, verse 4. And when, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now you want to put brackets between on the other side of verse 4. So we have brackets around verse 1, brackets around verse 2 and 3, and now we have a bracket around verse 4. Now here's what you have. Nothing to do with the church age. What he does here is what he does many, many times in the Bible, if you're paying attention. He jumps from the first coming of Christ, verses 2 and 3, right over the church age, never mentions it because of Romans chapter 16, and brings us right into the tribulation period. So he skips over the church age, and that reason he does that is because you're told the church age is a mystery, and Romans chapter 16 says it's not revealed till Paul. So he doesn't, he doesn't deal with it at all. He jumps right from the first coming into the second coming. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, these sheep will be found in Matthew chapter 22, chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, also in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. These will be the 144,000 Jews that go forth and preach the everlasting gospel in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, before the Antichrist catches up with them. Notice it says, they know his voice. 
You'll find that in Revelation chapter 11 and other places in the Old Testament of the book of Malachi uh, with the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament are the two, two men who represent the voice of God. Moses represents the law of God. Elijah represents the prophets of God. And that is the voice of God in the Old Testament round up in the law and the prophets. Now you see how easy that is? No Greek, no Hebrew, no education above the sixth grade. Just following the Bible that God gave you and every piece of this, not somebody up here saying, well, I think it means this, or what do you think it means? Running it back to the Bible and allowing the Bible to define it for you. That's what you have to do. Now, our fourth bracket will be verse 5. And you want to bracket verse 5. So now we have bracket around verse 1, 2, and 3, verse 4. And now we're going to bracket independently verse 5. And it says here, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And the stranger here now we know from my defining it for you will be the Antichrist, and we're right smack dab in the middle of tribulation period, certainly not the church age. And of course, if you really want to study this out, you want to go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And what you find out by putting all those verses together that when the Antichrist shows up, the first three and a half years anyhow, he makes an alliance with the nation of Israel and brings in a false peace and safety. Then at the middle of the tribulation period, at the three and a half year mark, and this is where our verses that I just gave you come into play, he does this. He goes into the temple. He sits down on the throne in the temple and declares himself to be God. This is called in your Bible the abomination of desolations. When he does that, God, working all the circumstances around now, reveals himself to the nation of Israel. They see him who what they are as the idle shepherds. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 16, in the same context of the abomination of desolation, they flee Jerusalem, just like it says in verse 5 and verse 4 and 3. They flee from him. And they get taken out now. Of course, he tries to hunt them down, kill them all. They get them surrounded down in the valley of Armageddon, and God takes them out. And uh, all this is dealing with here, uh, you know, they get, all this is dealing with here uh, as a parable of God dealing with his people, Israel, not the church. It's dealing with the first coming. It's dealing with them crucifying him and him leading out captivity captive out of Abraham's bosom and then coming back down and sending his own people out in the tribulation period and they see the Antichrist and they flee from him because they don't know his voice because the voice of God is here in Moses and Elijah. This is all dealing with the restoration of the nation of Israel which you'll find the two great chapters of the New Testament that Paul writes about will be Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, you find why God sent them the parables, and it deals with their rejection of what they go through. So you find that in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 11, it deals with the restoration of the nation of Israel. 
Notice how the Holy Spirit of God under Paul's teaching is different than what we just read in Matthew. If you have a trained eye, if you know anything about your Bible, you know that the book of Romans chapter 9 deals with Israel. Chapter 11 deals with them being restored. But oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Chapter 10 deals with the church age and Gentiles getting saved. You see what he did? He showed you in chapter 9 in Romans why they got messed up. He showed you in chapter 10 why it went to the Gentiles. And he shows you in chapter 11 that they're going to be restored. He didn't do that in Matthew. From Matthew, he went from the first coming right into the tribulation and skipped right over the church age. Why? Because that revelation was reserved for Paul, Romans chapter 16. See how easy it all is, folks? I mean, it, it, it just, it, it, it's just that simple. Lessons on things like this. This parable will be invaluable to the Bible student. Now, if you're just somebody out there that you care one way or the other, and you've been looking at your watch and waiting to get out of here, I got you. I understand. I know what, it's okay. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Sing Heil. I get it. But if you're a Bible student, if you have dedicated your life to be a student of the Word of God, it's things like this that will unlock the Bible for you in so many different ways. You may not see it. You may not understand it. You've got about 30 studies that you can take out of what I've given you this morning. It's an endless. You could go on forever and ever and ever just unlocking the things that I gave you the keys to. Now, I'm sure Thursday night some of you will have some good questions about some of this stuff, and I'll take time to answer it and show you the best I can. I didn't have time to do it this morning. But you're here to learn, and I'm here to teach you. And I am not going to get up here and just gloss over something because it may, be, uh, it may take me a lot of work to put it all together. No, no, we're here to learn. And in this church, there's a number of Bible students who you're fed up with the typical churches that just play around with the Bible. You want to learn the Word of God. And based on your desire, it's my obligation to teach you the Word of God and to give you what you need. And so when you look at something like this today, they're invaluable for a number of reasons. And uh, first of all, it, it will show you and give you an example of how you rightly divide the Word of Truth. I, I can't emphasize that enough. What we did today is simply take a passage, define it, give you the key finger, and then what did I do? Divided it out for you, rightly. Nothing in the church age, no allegorical applications to it, no spiritual stuff. It's just simply based Bible doctrine. And, the, and look what comes out of that. You, you, you learned about what history really is about Christmas and Easter. And I'm not taking that away from anybody. I, 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 I you know, enjoy it. It's okay. I'm not a Jehovah Witness where I don't salute the flag and I don't represent holidays. They got to have a boring life. No Christmas presents. Man, I don't want that church at all. <laughs> but it's a thing where I want you to know. We live in a world where we're going to have to become all things to all men, but there's a limit to that, and as I told you, we've got to find a model for that, Acts chapter 21. Everything is here. I gave you everything you need today out of this one little passage to show how you take every aspect of this and you simply 
rightly divided. And then the second thing you learn from it is the fact that, and this is the greatest thing, I think, is it shows you that you don't need anything but the Bible itself. You don't need anything. You don't need a doctor's degree in theology. You don't need the Greek. You don't need the Hebrew. God gave you an English Bible to an English-speaking people. And that's all you need. It'll unlock itself that you don't have to pay 50, 60, 70, 100,000 dollars for some Bible professor to unlock it for you, which he doesn't have the keys. The keys are in the book. That is the greatest single thing that you can learn out of something like this. Before we even get to the studies, that it's beyond, you know, the, the, the world's imagination. No man can, can stand in judgment of the Word of God and tell you this is what he really meant. Uh-uh. I don't stand in judgment of this book. I stand this book judging me. And then we lay it out through the Holy Spirit of God. Show you how that all this is separated from Paul's book. You have to see the difference between what God gives to the nation of Israel and he gives to the church. The Bible talks about seven mysteries given to the church. But there's 12 mysteries given to the nation of Israel, the parables. Bible talks about the kingdom of God, which the church is born into. But it talks about the kingdom of heaven that is given to the nation of Israel. It talks about Paul unlocking the keys of the church age to the Gentiles. And then it talks about Peter having the keys to unlock the gospel of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. And it's a thing where you have to see the difference. And in everything we do here, every, every time we're together, whether it's on Sunday morning or Bible study, and I know this is not a preachy, preachy message today. What am I supposed to do? Just pass over the first story? No, no. We have to look at it so you leave here today with somewhat of a foundational understanding of it. And then we can put the pieces together later. Now, this was the first segment. I got maybe two or maybe two more out of this story that we'll get into next week. And we'll, uh, we'll, we're going to lay this whole thing out, and you will fully understand it. Now, my advice to you is you got it in your notebooks before next Sunday. Get it in your Bible as much as I've given you this point in time. You have questions about things? Write them down and bring them Thursday night. Be diligent about it. And we'll answer whatever questions you have. I want you to thoroughly understand it as a Bible student. And we'll go from there. So next week we'll continue with this story and we'll, we'll put it all together. Let's have a word of prayer. Don't forget, sign up for uh, New Year's Eve. Jamie will be down here with the uh, paper and uh, sign up for uh, the gal, uh, uh, Dylan and uh, uh, Mason's mom uh, for this coming Wednesday. Let's have a word of prayer and we will be dismissed. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the wealth of information that's